Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Sunday, October 11th, and boys, Clemson just beat Georgia Tech. We are 5-0. and How are you doing today? My fantasy team is doing well, so... Really? You're talking about fantasy? Oh, I'm my... sorry, it is Sunday. Yeah, my fantasy team's not doing well at all, but I'm doing great. Clemson won. We're in great shape. It's Fleet Week here in San Francisco. That means there's a bunch of airplanes flying around. It's great. What is Fleet Week? Isn't it Fleet Week? Yeah, no it is. What? I'm not really sure. What is it? People... It's the fleet, like the naval fleet. Okay, so the Blue Angels, a bunch of airplanes right around, really close to one another. It's really loud, and people yell. It's kind of like a NASCAR event in air, in the air. Race cars in the air. Yeah. L- less rednecks, less Bud Light, Coors Light, but a lot of fun. There was some Coors Light today. That's actually. true. <laughs> um, all right, well, if this is your first time listening, uh, welcome to the podcast. We... Uh, we're here to talk about Clemson football, Clemson sports. We appreciate the listens. Um, we encourage you to check out ClemsonPodcast.com. Up there on our website, we've got a link to some of our past recordings. A lot of good stuff there. Some recaps and previews of recent games, as well as our season previews. A lot of gold in there. No mistakes whatsoever. We've been clairvoyant all year. But um, effectively, we would appreciate you visiting our website. We've got links to subscribe to the podcast if you've not been there before. And uh, this is your first time listening. So check us out. Tune in there. Um, but guys, the purpose of this podcast we are recording right now is to recap that Tiger win. Uh, Georgia Tech came into Death Valley preseason, even throughout the first two, three weeks of the year. We thought this was going to be a much more, I guess, competitive matchup than it ended up being. But uh, really good to see the Tigers come out with a victory. I would even go so far as to say this was a statement win of our season. We were looking for you know, a de- definitive victory from our team coming into this game. We snuck by, maybe, snuck by is the wrong way to say it. We won by a single score or less against our last two opponents, Louisville and Notre Dame. So to see us put put up a big big score in the first half, take a big lead initially, I thought was a great sign for our team. No, this was a win that we've been waiting for. Uh, it's one of those comfortable wins where we got off, like, Hot to a, to a quick start, off on the right foot, and we just dominated the game the whole time. We didn't let anybody back in like we did against Louisville or Notre Dame. We we took a team, uh, a, form, a formidable opponent. It wasn't App, St- uh, App State or Wofford. And we took Georgia Tech to the woodshed, and we dominated the whole game. We held their offense in check. Our defense played fantastic, and our offense showed up for this game, which was a beautiful sight to see. I mean, last year we lost to Tech by 20, and... You could argue, I mean, two of those touchdowns on their side were Cole Stout pick sixes, so maybe it should have been closer than that, but to see us come out and definitively win like this, I mean, two different teams, two different personnel groups, but, you know, we don't always be tapped by this type of score. Yeah, and Ed Cunningham, which, by the way, the, the coverage of the game by the infamous Mike Patrick, who butchers names constantly, he actually, he, they were good. Like, the dynamic between the two is good. I enjoyed listening to it. Uh, Eddie Cunningham at the end of the game, though, he was talking about how, how we won the game and the, the way that it will be perceived amongst uh, the, the, commi- the selection committee for the, for the playoff. And he said that it doesn't matter if, they, if we blew them out or like the score. It doesn't matter. They're not, they're not just going to look at paper. They're going to say, well, did we have command of the game the entire time? And he's like, and, they, and we did. He's like, we could have won. Could we have won by 40 or put 50 or 60 on the board? Possibly. But the, the key thing is... We commanded the game the whole time, and it was it wasn't perfect, but it was really it was good. It, uh, yeah, yeah, we totally did. I mean, this game should have been a much bigger blowout than it was. Think about their scores. Two of them were on you know just blown coverages that were wide open passes, which that happens against Georgia Tech, and the other two were uh, from the offense, right? As a result of uh, turnovers. So, really, when you think about it, they could have not scored in this game if it wasn't for those. Big plays. Our defense could have held them in check. Our offense would have scored more. I mean, it's bad enough. You know, we beat them by 19 points. It could have been much worse than that. Yeah, I mean, I'll give them some credit. You know, those two, the two touchdowns that they did have, you know, our, our first team secondary was in the game. Granted, on the second one, our second team, a lot of our second team defensive linemen were in. But still, 
we're playing, you know, we're going up against a knuckleball pitcher. You know, Ben, you and I have talked about this before. Yeah. It's a knuckleball pitcher, and they're sneaking an 88 mile an hour fastball by us, and we strike out because we're just not, we don't see it coming. We get a little bit overzealous. We're trying to, uh, you, you know, pack the box a little too tight, and they beat us over, top, over the top. You're never going to see blown coverages like that against a conventional offense. Exactly. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah. 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 I think in terms of blown plays like that, you, you worry because it happens, but you think about is that reflective of our secondary and our defensive quality? I don't think so at all. And there, you know, there's some Twitter chatter going on during the game. I don't think anyone nationally, even the playoff review committee, is going to look at those plays and say, oh man, this defense is susceptible to a big play. I think it's strictly based on style of offense that they've got running. Yeah, they know it's a gimmick offense, and these things happen when you're playing a team like Georgia Tech like this. But again, if you're playing a conventional offense, you're not going to see these egregious blown coverages like we saw yesterday in those two plays. It's just not going to happen. And so, with, yeah, I would say with that in mind, it's the game was it was a blowout, but yeah, it, this score doesn't really indicate the, the story. Well, and I think if you go back to the preview podcast that you guys recorded. Neither of you guys predicted a blowout. I certainly did not. I did not expect it. I think so much of that is in just our initial not wanting to discount our opponents, not wanting to kind of go in and under maybe under uh, under evaluate who we're going up against. But um, yeah, I think certainly we all felt that this was a, a possibility coming into this game and with the yeah. high power of our, our offense. But we haven't really seen that type of offensive explosive production for this team even since our kind of app state wafford cupcake start to the season although this does concern me and we, we talked about letting louisville hang in the game a game that we really felt that we had control of the whole time and then also letting notre dame back in the game after we had a pretty comfortable lead against them uh this game was 33 to 10 in halftime and they outscored us by four in the second half we only put up 10 points so yeah, it was a greater lead, so maybe that masked um, the issue that we didn't play a great second half again. I know the fourth quarter was uh, you know, a lot of second and third string guys, but that doesn't excuse the third quarter. No, I, I kind of disagree. I mean, we, we did get some fourth quarter uh, second team guys in there, but I mean, that's okay. That's a good thing. It, it fell off a little bit. It, it wasn't perfect, that botched snap, um, where it looks like it was a little bit too high over... Watson's head where they got a quick seven or quick six. Yeah. But ultimately, I mean, we, again, that's we, our, that's our backup center. That's our actually third string center. Right. Snapping that ball. So Falsinelli. Well said. Um, exactly. Absolutely. So I, I don't know. I think, all right, real quick around the table, what score would you give our entire team performance with this game? Let's use a, a standard American elementary school grade point scale, a, a plus to F minus. I go, I go B plus, and the reason it could, it was in the first half would have been an A, but the reason B plus is because we didn't close out strong. We made a few, few turnovers, but ultimately, also there's a ceiling we have that we are yet to hit. We kind of showed a little bit of it, I think, in the first half, but I think we're, you could even say we're less than a B plus, but the idea being we're a good team, and we haven't even, the best is yet to come. Yeah, I may sound cynical, but I'm still going to give us an A minus because I thought, I mean, especially starting off the game, we really dominated them again, 33 to 10 and a half time. And we forget to mention this, it was raining once again. And that was a factor in the game. So I am a little concerned and, and not happy about the way the second half uh, and how we close out the game. I will say that I don't think we've played a complete game, like from start to finish all year. I know it's. You know, it's hard to do that when you're up by so much in the fourth quarter that you're bringing in some, a lot of your backups. So it's hard to see that because obviously you're going to have some breakdowns, especially when Georgia Tech is bringing in, you know, keeping their first teamers in. Uh, but I'd still give us an A-. minus. What do you think, Tilly? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm on board with the A- minus grade. Um, I think so much of any of the critique, criticism that you could have relates to our opponent. And when you listen to the words of Paul Johnson, he's... I think one of our fellow alumni says, anytime you look at Paul Johnson, it seems like someone around him just let out a fart with the way, <laughs> the way, the way with his facial expressions. He looked like someone was ripping him good on the sideline all day. Uh, but his statements after the game were saying, like, he's never seen this offense look more out of sorts. Um, you know, it just hasn't really come together for that team. How much of that is our team disrupting them? 
I would even say that it's more so than them just not getting it together. Yeah, but they haven't looked that great all year. I mean, they had Patrick Skov, who was their uh, kind of number one B-back coming into this game. He only got two carries on the night. Like, they're in, you know, in a dire situation on their offense because nothing's clicking. We used to think that you could just plug guys into this system that he has, and it's not working this year. Justin Thomas, their quarterback, got nothing going on the ground. Uh... Their leading rusher had only 45 yards, and this is a team that that's their bread and butter. They rushed the ball, right? Yeah, I mean, Justin Thomas looked, looked like a high school quarterback that, yeah. I mean, he was just throwing things up. Fortunately, two things stuck, but for the most part, he was completely inaccurate. Uh, and say what you will, they don't, look, they don't look great. Georgia Tech looks pretty poor, but that interior line was getting three yards into the backfield every time. Not to mention Kevin Dodd and Shaq Lawson on the interior were, were setting the edge every time, or the, the exterior. Yeah, and maybe that same defensive line did not get the, that type of penetration against Louisville, but we were effective against Notre Dame, one of the best O-lines in the country. I think Georgia Tech's better than they showed in that game, and I think it's just our team exerting their will coming out to play against, and that's the result of that game. We'll see going forward in the ACC Coastal if Tech feels like they have something to play for. You know, I think they're very well coached. They're disciplined. I think that they will. And you never know in that Coastal division. Tech's, what, three losses so far in the yeah, ACC? Yeah, they're, they're, they're 0-3 in the conference with, with losses to UNC and Duke in conference, plus Notre Dame. I know it doesn't count, but still a quasi-ACC school. Um, but they're sitting at the bottom of that conference, or that division within mm-hmm. the conference. So anyway, I again, I, I will I'll stand by my A minus grade. Um, I think that a lot of this was more Clemson's ability to move the football on the offensive side. How about our O line by the go, by the way, guys? I mean, maybe to get into position group wise, I feel like I don't want to give them the game ball necessarily, but I think they continue to show improvement week after week. No longer would I say there are Achilles heel or weak chain certainly against maybe some of our tougher defensive opponents coming up in the rest of the season. We'll see what we can do there. And we're pretty thin on depth as that Falsinelli snap showed you. That being said, you know, I'm pretty pleased with the O-line. Well, Norton will come back next, next week and he'll probably step back into being our second team center. He's not going to take over his first team job. That, that is squarely on Jake Irmo at this point. And I don't see a lot of other big tests this year. Um, in the regular season outside of Florida State against our own line. But, you know, and that's fine. I mean, what I will say is that they've looked fantastic. They continued to progress each game, and I thought they played fantastic against Georgia Tech. They got a push. The running game was great. And there was, you know, Sean Watson had a great deal of time in the pocket. Like, pass protection was really good. Yeah, I agree. I looked at the film, and, I mean, they did a good job in pass protection. Uh, pretty solid job in, in run blocking. How much of that is Georgia Tech just being, you know, not having the, the guys, not having yeah. those you know, prototypical? You they know, turned over quite a few guys in their D-line yeah. this it, year. Well, and our schedule is going to be what it's going to be, and the D-lines we face are going to be what they are. So it, it all comes down to we really can't help that, but how does our offensive line look against the guys that are stacked up against them? And they've done a very good job. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. And Deshaun Watson, you're right, he got some time for the first – Really, game all season. It looked like he was in the pocket, and he he was God. He looked he looked good. Throws and were sharp. How much of that is just giving him a little bit of time to throw and, and to look downfield versus maybe he's kind of turned a corner? I, I don't know. We'll we'll have to you know two three more games we'll know. But I I mean accuracy was great. One of the areas that I know you guys touched on coming into this game in the preview was will Deshaun come back in show some proficiency. And can we have receivers step up? And actually, you know, we've all been missing Mike, Mike Williams a great deal um, in the four games since he went out with an injury. And I think what the offensive play calling showed, what the offensive coordinator showed, what this offense showed was the answer, I mean, I believe is yes. We've got, we're going to hit them with quantity, maybe not quality necessarily, uh, but that quantity did show up this game. We had Deion Kane lead, lead the team in catches. Um, we had a number of guys, you know, show up, make big plays um, across, you know, throughout the we, – we even had Trevion Thompson. He had his name called. I think we've been calling for that throughout the, the last three or four weeks. So, you know, for me, that was, that was another highlight to see. And can I make a point, Ben? You, you said Peak would be the better option, the fallback guy. Just because he's been there, why take the risk on Thompson or Kane and their, you know, maybe needed development – 
versus uh, Peak, who's at least has the experience and he can get there a little bit quicker. I think that was totally disproven. I think you're wrong uh, because because Kane and and Thompson showed just in one game that they can probably be as good in that role that um, versus versus Peak. Well, 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 in the position that Sharon Peak has taken over from Mike Williams, maybe in in catching the ball and then Peak moving back to his original position is fine. But okay, yeah, I understand Sharon Peak dropped that ball in the end zone, and we don't like to see that, but. It's not just the, the the receiving game that you have to you ask of out of these receivers. Peak blocked his ass off all day long on the perimeter. In that Gal- that Gallman touchdown in the yeah, first drive, exactly. incredible block. And do these young guys, are they able to do that? And we've seen how long it's taken Jordan Leggett to get to that point or Jamon Hopper to be able to block. It's not all about catching the ball. Peak, he had that unfortunate drop. Otherwise, I think he looked really good and blocking all day. I think he did great. All right. You guys are Jeff Scott, Tony Elliott. Boston College coming up, maybe they are they have a phenomenal defense, but let's just say the next four or five weeks, how do you distribute the ball to wide receivers? Who do you treat as the boundary receiver in that nine position? Who do you treat as the main slot guy? How do you, how do you handle kind of second team duties? Cody, I'm going to throw it to you first. I think you give Kane, and I, I think he showed enough in, in a couple plays that he can be that guy. He can not only make plays after the catch, but he can also come back, high point the ball, make that Sammy Watkins, New Hopkins so type. So he's your nine. He's your boundary. Yeah. Who do you have in slot? In the slot, I think you can move Peak back there. I mean, I, I'm not yeah. against like what I'm. I'm not saying is we never give Peak any a chance to play. Like let's put him on the bench. He's still a quality guy. He blocks. He knows. He's been around for five years. He knows what's going on. Let him play. I'm just saying. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want his number called as much. I don't want as much downfield, even over the middle type passes to him. Put him back in the five. Well, that's the question. Okay, I totally agree. Put Kane out there. I think he showed us enough. But has Hopper showed you more than Peak? No. But, I mean, no, exactly. Put Peak back in that position. And I'm not going to say we have a one, a two, and a three guy as our starters. Yeah. Uh, look at the box score. We're spreading the ball all over the place, and I think that may be better. When you have all these quality guys out there, then you can't give their best corner one guy to focus on. You're spreading the ball out across the field. We have several capable, talented wide receivers. Uh, not to mention, Jordan, Jordan Leggett has really emerged. Agreed, and let's touch on Leggett in a moment. I want to address some tweets that we saw yesterday during the game and basically post-game. So many Clemson fans, you might even call them um, you know, reactionaries, we're calling for the offensive coaches to never throw the ball to peak. I'm done with peak. I'm over peak. Cody may or may not be in this camp. I don't think you are. You said let's move him back inside. I think he has value on this team. I think he's not. And let's take blocking out of it. As a pass catcher, as a playmaker, he has a place in this offense and a place on this team. He's very talented. Um, and, it, you know, take aside like the fact that he's a fifth-year senior, He's had injuries, anything else. He's a weapon, and we need to treat him as such. And if you take him out of this offense, let's say he would go down with an injury in practice. Are these same people calling for him to never see another target again? You know, we're a worse offense if Pete goes down with a season-ending injury. Well, there's a there's a, a huge spectrum of, of the Clemson fans, just like with any other fan base. I am not part of that get rid of Peak. You know that that coalition. I don't know. And there's people that doom and gloom everything every time something bad happens. There were people throughout Taj Boyd's entire career that were saying, "Put Cole Stout in. He's better." I'm not one of those guys. I'm far from it. But I do. I do think with Peak, he's just he was he's being utilized. I guess in the wrong role. And and there's guys that had better potential, and that can help us down the road, like Kane and Thompson, true freshman versus fifth year senior. Let's give him a shot. Let's give him a shot. Okay, cool. So, Ben, let me just ask you, if you're, again, the offensive coordinators, do you take Cody's stance? Move? Do you want to keep Peak kind of in that boundary? Peter in, Kane, and Thompson, you know, in some of those unconventional sets, four or five wide receiver sets? Or do you advocate moving him back into the slot, maybe as that deep ball option, or even a, you know, third down, over the middle type? Where do you stand? Oh, I would certainly say moving back into the slot and give Kane a chance on the outside there and even putting Hunter Infro in and seeing what he can do. Um, all I'll say about this, I know everybody, the, the people giving Pete crap and saying that, you know, take him out of there, don't ever throw to him again. Uh, this kid's gone through a lot of in- injuries, and I bet the people that are saying that have never been out on the field playing football and have gone through these injuries. 
I don't think he's played a full season except for 2012, his sophomore year. Other than that, he's got like, you know, four receptions in 11, 25 and 12, 8 and 13, 12 and 14 and 9 so far this year. He hasn't seen the field a lot because he's been batting, battling injuries so much. He's a very talented guy. He's got to work through some of these things. He's got to trust his knees again. Obviously, the drop ball, you can't make any excuses for that. But this is not the time to cut him from the team because he is such a valuable part to our receiving core. In a probably your second or third role, Hunter Renfro, by the way, would be you know maybe on, on a separate note, not trying to lump this in with Sean Peak, but your guy Ben Hunter Renfro has been amazing, and like he he went from being like wow this guy's a you know this is a nice story he has a walk on now he's a receiver. This guy's great, man. He's going to be an asset to this team for the next, you know, three or four years now. I, I like, and he's you hear the white guy comparisons. I think, I think was it was it totally or one of you guys made the white guy comparison, Adam Humphreys, and uh, Tyler Gresham. Uh, he's he's good. He's better than both of those guys. Um, guys, I want to kind of wrap up the offensive reaction, if you will, to this game with um, the play of our running game, and I think. Uh, yesterday we saw a little bit less design play call for Deshaun Watson. Certainly he was scrambling a bit. Some of those designs, some of those in reaction to some of the pressure he was seeing. Uh, but it, in my mind, it was a good thing to see. First of all, like actually, I'm going to take a timeout across the board. Knock wood. Not really. The injury bug didn't really bite us against Georgia Tech. They were called for I think one shot blocking penalty. Um, normally we come out of that game with some injuries. So good to see very limited. Um, you know, game stoppages and carts being rolled out. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, that's two games in the rain and one game in a, in a monsoon, and, but two games in the rain for the most part, you know, Artavis Scott, which I don't know what happened there, but no injuries. And I think he just got the wind knocked out of him on yeah. the play. I think he's fine. So, yeah, we hope so. Yeah, it seems like he's good. But, yeah, we've been very fortunate. And to play starters as much as we did – we're in good shape. Yeah, again, I, I mean, going back to the run game, um, Wayne Gallman, let's ride that Wayne train. I think he was initially from the start, that's what kept us um, moving the ball forward, moving the chains. And time of possession, when the final whistle blew, I think we had a slight edge over Georgia Tech, but um, it was no no contest once we started running the ball because that really opened up some of those play calls down the, down the stretch with the receivers. Yeah, I think Wayne's the most valuable player on offense. Uh, up until this point in the season, and he's only going to continue to get better uh, as the season goes on. I mean, you need a strong running game to be able to control the game and open up the passing game, and he has been that guy. Um, if there's um, anybody that we – I mean, obviously Deshaun Watson, but another guy on offense that we couldn't afford an injury to, it's Wayne Gallman because outside of him – Gallman. Gallman. Uh, Zach Brooks. You know, it's good to see him actually step up and take over C.J. Davidson. Uh, but I'm still not fully confident in him. Yeah, G- Galman. And we say that Gallman. intentionally because he's a ladies' man. He's the Galman. Anyway, so <laughs> and my mom is going to love that joke. So Galman is has looked incredible. He has been the, the MVP, our Heisman candidate, if you will, uh, on offense so far. Ideally, we want to see Deshaun Watson overtake him, and that just because we need that in order to be you know be at our optimal level. Well, a Heisman but he's been quarterback great. is more sexy. Yeah, exactly. And no one's beaten Fournette, but regardless, Gallman has been amazing. He's and we talk about the progression of our offensive line. They've been good in pass protection. They've done ultimately they've done a, a, they've done a better job. Uh, but run run blocking, they're still not great by any means. A lot of Gallman's work has been, you know, he gets you know a loss of two yards, he makes it a gain of two. He he gets a you know four yard gain, he makes it into six by making an extra move. And, and the physicality they, that he brings. So I love what, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He's been our MVP on offense up to this point. Love what I'm seeing from him. His vision and his ability to break tackles at the line of scrimmage has been um, really exciting to see and a great improvement from last year. But I will also say this, is that once he gets past the line of scrimmage, it's also been the blocking from the tight ends and the wide receivers that really been able to break big plays for him. Yeah, I think we're, we're a very good running offense right now. It's not... Yes, Gallman um, is very talented. I think he's done a great job with being cast into that role. Um, but you guys nailed it. It's throughout that 11-man offense, being able to support that type of play call. Um, and that's going to continue to carry us. We all know that we've got talent from a quarterback position or a receiver position. 
Uh, but to be able to have that other facet, a very successful, even could be the best facet of our offense, makes us very tough out um, as a team. Unless you guys have more to say about the offense, I mean, we lauded the tight end play, et cetera, but I'd like to flip to even the brighter spot of this team. The last defense. thing I'll say on offense is that I think the uh, uh, the Hunter Renfro and the white guy comparison is lazy. I would say Jerron Brown. Are you going to get upset and go on a rant about this? No, I'm just saying. I'm just... All this, right, talk to us spirit. about Jerron Brown's Clemson accolades. And I don't need you to come up with stats about that, but... What is what looks does he show you that you see Hunter Renfro exhibit? Oh, what, the role he played in the offense. I mean, he wasn't the number one receiver. He wasn't the deep threat. You had other guys for that. He wasn't um, your speedster, but he was a guy that got it in there. He was very serviceable, and he did well. He's an NFL player, um, and he's sticking around. Yeah, I'd like him in a, like a secondary tertiary option to yeah. some of these more higher profile guys. Good and hands, hands of glue, man. I don't remember Jerron Brown ever dropping a ball. Sure he did, but I don't remember it. Hunter Renfro looks like he's about in that same boat. I'm not discounting your comparison. I think uh, what what I'm seeing out of Renfro is reliability. Um, you know, crap the Kraken on shaking the Southland in his instant reactions to this game just said he's getting a step on those DBs. And I don't know if they're discounting him. He's yeah. getting separation. I don't know if he, if they're discounting him for any reason or if it's just straight up, you know, athletic ability and talent. Um, creating those gaps, but he's getting he's gotten two games in a row pass interference call yeah. that I think otherwise would have resulted in if not a massive gain, potentially a touchdown. So again, high marks to Renfro. It's amazing to see. Let's keep it up. Um, but guys, let's move on to the defense. I think that this really is the the high water mark of our team and and will dictate where we go this season, limiting. Even the most gadgety or high-powered offense to number of yards and number of plays and number of uh, points that this defense has. I mean, how many of these, what was it, 24 points Georgia Tech scored can you roll up and attribute to miscues on offense or special teams? Um, and how many are we really attributing to this defense? I think, you know, very much so the snap-over-the-head touchdown um, as well as the other turnover, the interception that resulted in a in Georgia Tech points. Well, never did they drive the field on us and score. No. That, I mean, again, we, we talked about a little bit the knuckleball comparison where if we had been on our hills and, and playing a little bit safer, we, we could have, you know, damn near shut them out. Let me give props to one guy. I think the helmet sticker for ESPN went to Dorian O'Daniel. That guy looked great. You know, we'll give him some props. But J. Ron Curse was just so fun to watch. He's six five. Can we put him on the basketball team? Because it's like he's a perimeter defender. And, you know, I, I kept thinking back to like 2011 and, and years before that, where we had such a hard time against the triple option. We had linebackers that couldn't hold their assignment. They would just constantly miss, and that we would get these six, you know, six nine yard gains, and they would do a fourth down, and just we could, you know, we could not stop them. They would, you know, control the whole game. Well, Jaron Curse not only would stick to his assignment the entire game, he would also jump off of his assignment with some lateral quickness and tackle the, the other guy just like like within a half a second. I remember one particular, it was almost like a sweep uh, call around the edge where Jaron, he was covering two guys and no matter where that ball went, he could have had both of them. Um, they, I don't think, I think it was Justin Thomas, didn't do the pitch, ran back inside and Jaron was all over him, but he would have had it had he pitched it or not. I mean, this guy's an animal. He's all over the place. This was we knew going in, this was going to be a very exciting game to watch him in, him and Ben Boyer, and they both stole the show, I thought. Yeah, and, and I mean, I don't know, you're not talking about the, I mean, there was the one time where Jaron Curse just kind of snuffed it out, he, he saw the, the pitch in advance, and right. just, it hit the guy in the back, that reminded me almost of the Javion Clowney, uh, you know, where he got in the backfield, but, you know, he didn't, he didn't take the ball by one hand and run it at the end zone, but I still was, a great play. I was feeling the whole game that he was going to take a pitch and just catch it and intercept that running back. And he, he wasn't that far away from doing it on a, few, a few times. Yeah. Well, ultimately, I think I said, I felt good going into this game even before we knew that Georgia Tech wasn't what we originally thought they were because we matched up so darn well, especially with our linebackers who, for one, Brent Venables, is, he knows how to coach. Yeah. We don't go in missing assignments anymore. That was Kevin Stilday's. 
but we matched up really well. We got guys, we're going to take out that lead blocker. We're going to take out the, the quarterback. Everyone stayed true to their assignments, and it, it was a thing of beauty. They stayed at home all day long, and we were all over everything. Like, Georgia Tech wasn't mustering anything on offense against us. Yeah. I mean, Paul Johnson can say what he wants. You know, somebody was farting on him all game long. I don't know what was going on, but <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, Clemson had a lot to do with that. Ben Bulware, to me, Aaron Curse yeah. had a lot to do with that. To me, I think this is more us disrupting them. Than, and again, maybe they're not getting the type of execution out of their line play or some of their A or B backs than they, that they expected. But um, this is us exerting our will. And um, uh, the other thing I saw, I read somewhere, was people were worried about our points per game average going up with this game and them scoring these points on these ticky-tack plays. Like, First of all, that number doesn't matter, our average points per game that we're letting up. I think the fact that we're getting wins matters. And yeah. no one's discounting. Even the advanced stats guys are not counting, you know, some of these plays happening, especially on the, you know, offensive or special teams turnovers, the results in points. Our defense is kicking ass right now, and no one can take that away from us. And I'm really excited to see through five week through five games where we stack up in some of these national advanced statistical categories on defense. Um, at the end of the day, if you finish as the number one team in the country, do you really care if your defense was number one? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's, so that's what you're saying, but yeah, I mean, we're, we look great, and it, 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 all, it all becomes subjective. Do we pass the eye test? And I think we do. 100%. We, we know watching the game that they very well could have had zero. It was two big busts. Uh, for two of their scores and to a result of turnovers on the offense. Yeah. And Ed Cunningham, you're talking about a lot of statistical analysis, how we evaluate both his perception but also meaningful perception in that the selection committee has to think about, you know, taking two different bodies of work, comparing those, you know, like a, we sure. go up against Utah at the end of the year. We don't have any uh, mutual opponents. How do we, how do we you know, assess that? But he, he get, gave a very uh, a good analysis of that, just saying – they look at a lot of things. It's not a short-sighted, which kind of gave me a little reassurance, um, knowing we play in a very, very weak conference, the ACC, that they're looking at these things very objectively, taking a lot of lot of factors, not just the score. And did we blow them out? Yeah. Well, not to mention our athletic director is on the, the committee. Doesn't hurt. He, he did say if we win every game, they did a, a little mock thing, I think, in like Dallas or some, somewhere. Anyway, they all met, did a little mock. Uh, kind of thing, and, and they said if Clemson were to go undefeated, there is no way they, especially with a conference championship, that they would not make it into the playoffs. Anyway, that's we're t- we're going, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but one game at a time, one game at a time. BC. All right. Well, a lot, a lot of which will dictate where we end up is our standing in the in the polls. We'll get to that in a moment, as well as the other games around the country that will impact that as well. Before we wrap up, thoughts on this game, guys? Any special teams? considerations anything that you saw or that we should be worried about the kick coverage looked a lot better uh lakeup did not get i think he got one touchback maybe and that was about it like yeah. the kicks were not deep maybe he was just trying to set himself up to get another uh, big hit this week <laughs> by kicking it short but uh <laughs> other than that kick coverage, interesting theory there man <laughs> kick coverage looked really good um, Let's not do that, by the way. Let's yeah, just kick it out. Exactly. Or kick it out of bounds, either way. Uh, Hugo looked good on his field goals, I thought. Um, good to see him knocking the ball through. And then Andy Teasdall, man, his, his punts, he has gotten better as the season has gone along. Yeah. I was really worried coming into this year losing Bradley Pinion and what he was able to do as a punter. Because flipping the field and being able to drive somebody back or get them inside their 20 is huge uh, for the field position battle. Teasdall has been very solid. No comment on special teams. They look good. Uh, kickoff recover. I will say kickoff kickoff recoverage. Uh, kickoff coverage and kickoff recoverage. Recovery. Punt. <laughs> Re- the coverage. People putting good. a foot on a ball yeah. and people chasing him down. Tackling the guy. They look good. You got right. it there. Okay. <laughs> they look good. All right. We're gonna go around the horn. Five weeks in. How's this team look? How do you feel? Outlook wise for the season, Ben, kick it to you. I feel good. Um, the team continues to progress. Uh, the play calling we kind of on offense we were worried about that after the, the Notre Dame game. I thought it got better, it got more aggressive uh, on the offensive side of the ball. The defense is going to continue to be solid all, all year long. It really comes down to if we have the depth to match up with teams and be able to 
uh, stick in there against good teams uh, for the long haul. But otherwise, the the first eleven in there are fantastic. Um, the young guys uh, on the offense side of the ball, the wide receivers, they're going to continue to get better as the season goes along. And I think you saw that come through in this game, especially with Deion Kane. So look to see what they're going to be able to bust out and do the rest of the year. All right, so yeah, I agree with you. D defense still same disruptive uh, force up front, uh, looking great. Depth is an like it is an issue, and I, I don't I don't want it to rear its ugly head at some point with like an injury or a suspension or something like that. But we've got to develop some uh, some linebackers. Maybe like consider Dorian O'Daniel as in that outside linebacker role. Um, it was interesting to see that once we took most of the D linemen, our starters off of the field that. Our linebackers, starters, were in there from pretty much the whole game. Well, our secondary, too. Yeah. And that just goes to show, like, even Venables, I think, said it, that, hey, this is a team that can, you know, go the length of the field really quick if you if you don't take them seriously. And by right. taking them seriously, I think he means playing your first team because you, yeah. what that means is you really don't trust your second team, unfortunately. So, but they, they still, it's this is a top five defense, which blowing our minds. We said they might be top ten by the end of the year. We're working with which the top was, five defense. Which was optimistic. I which mean, was optimistic, yeah. If I told you right now, like, if I could have given you at the start of the year, we could be the number 20 defense. You could just cash that check, take it in. Losing that many guys, we all would have taken it. I said top 10. I want to point that out. I said we Fair enough. We okay. could dig up the tape. I think we all would have accepted the number 18 or 20 defense, and they've just exceeded everybody's expectation. Granted, we have not played a high-power offense yet. And we probably Will won't. we? This is my question. So when I move to my outlook for the season, you cannot help but look at your schedule when you say this. And we won't get into who we'll match up against in the playoff, but we've got BC coming in. They just scored zero points, by the way. Uh, we've got Miami, who after losing to Florida State and after effectively at this point you know, having conference losses, being on their heels in that coastal race, in past years when they lose to Florida State, they go like two and six or worse to end the year. They may be mentally out of it by this point, having not won that game last night. We've got NC State, just got buried two weeks in a row by Louisville, and who'd they play yesterday? Louisville? I'm sorry, who did NC State lose to? Uh, they, on Friday Friday game, um, why am I not thinking of it? Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, yeah. yeah. So um, we've got those two on the road, Miami, NC State. Florida State, we all knew going into the year, they were ranked 12th, I haven't looked at the AP results for them. Probably didn't move up too much considering the other action going on. But our best hope at this point is that Florida State continues to, you know, play well. Um, but they, they come into us. You know, Everett Colson has not made a mistake this year. Is that really going to last? They're 11 in the AP. Have they played legitimate defenses like ours? Um, are they a high-powered offense outside of Dalvin Cook, who kind of had some hamstring stuff? But, you know, he's very much the, the potent power on their offense. I just think for the outlook of our season, it really does come down to that Florida State game. And if we can show we've effectively shut down CJ Procise, no running back has really gotten off on our, our off or sorry, our running defense. So I like our chances the rest of the way. Um, we cannot have that hiccup game. Um, and I suppose we should probably take a moment to talk about the press conference after the game re relating to our favorite verb, Clemsoning. Um, I just don't see it out of this team. And knowing that over the past four years it hasn't happened, guys, reaction to Dabo, Dabo's Clemsoning rant. So it, I, think, I think the Clemson fan base really took, uh, they took to it, they liked it. Uh, Larry Williams from Tiger Illustrated wrote, a, wrote an article just saying, like, wow, this is Dabo saying, we got your back, we won't settle for mediocrity, and we won't even, we won't even settle for a journalist mentioning that word anymore. Which I like that because, like, like Larry Williams said, that's not what Tommy Bowden would have done. He would have just been, oh, you know, people will say what they'll say. You know, Dabo's putting his foot down. This is we're not that same team. That's great. At the same time, Dabo's kind of creating. I think uh, Dabo was saying during the interview, during the rant, that he's people have their own agenda, and it sounded like Dabo had his own agenda a little bit in that rant. And I wish, kind of wish he had tapered that in that context. David Hill, the reporter that asked that question was going to write a story trying to change the term of Clemsoning to, hey, we beat 33, um, is it ranked? Unranked. Un I'm sorry, unranked opponents. Yeah. We haven't, you know, quote-unquote Clemson, cha changing the term of that, or the, the definition of that term altogether, 
And, I, I mean, he kind of went off at the mouth a little bit. And that's two games in a row where he's he's been media, you know, greatness. But, like, I wish he would kind of sell it down a little bit. Yeah, I think it's less so that he's trying to put anything out there for the fans. I think it's to show that he's sticking up for his team and the guys in the locker room. I think that's what it comes down to. You rally got the guys behind that. Uh, you show them that you're a leader and you got their back. I think that's what it boils down to. I think that's what he's doing it for. I agree. I mean, I don't think that's... And it's working. I'm saying Larry Williams said that that had an effect on the fans. I don't think that was necessarily Dabo's intention. His intention is all about that locker room, and that's why we love him. He cares about every single player on the roster, and he's got their back. And I think yeah. that's that's amazing. I just wish he would tone it down. By the way, he asked Mackenzie Alexander to tone it down a little bit. I mean, Dabo might want to just... Because Dabo, Dabo's great. He really is. But we, you don't want to steal the... Uh, it still the show a little bit from I'll, the team. I'll give you this. It does sound a little bit rehearsed, like he was just waiting for somebody to ask him that. Yep. Um, but at the same time, it's rehearsed because he's sticking up for Clemson and and who we are and uh, for yeah. our players who have not lost to an unranked team uh, for 33 straight games and under his tenure has for the most part not quotation marks Clemsoned. Yeah, it's like it's not he- a thing anymore. Maybe yeah, to a certain extent. When somebody asks you that question, just say next question. Don't acknowledge it. Don't talk about it. But at the same time, I love the passion. Stick up for your players, and they're going to fight uh, for you. They're going to fight back, right? I, I agree. And I, I think like just about it being rehearsed, though, I think he went into that conference thinking the first time someone says it, I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to put it into it. Which I don't mind. I kind of like the tactic, but David Hale, by the way, has been, you know, on ESPN, on, on that platform, has been waving the Clemson flag all year long. So you, you got to have a little bit of uh, it's a time and a place of there. discretion for sure. Um, <clears throat> what I'll say is, you know, I'm obsessed with national media related to Clemson, like reading everything I can. Um, also reading as much as possible about just generally college football. But um, I think the national temperature check, if you will, against Clemson has been moving in the direction of getting getting over, getting past Clemsoning as a, a verb to describe not meeting expectations. And even guys like definitely David Hale, he's been a proponent, but other writers for like Grantland, like Matt Matt Hinton and Holly Anderson. I mean, they they're maybe it's no longer like the in vogue thing to say that Clemson is you know that that team that's going to drop one. Well, um, well it, is it not just Tommy Baldening? Is that really what it is? Well, that that being said, I mean, I think a lot of people. I think it's more so the West Virginia game. That people look at and they're like, all right, Clemson, you won the ACC, you blew Virginia Tech out, you beat them twice, you beat Auburn, Florida State, and Virginia Tech three weeks in a row that year. Um, you, you lost to South Carolina, but you blew out Virginia Tech in the ACC championship. You came in and you laid an egg against West Virginia in your first BCS Bowl. I think it's that game that is our like tarnished legacy. And again, different defensive system, different offensive coordinator, but actually Chad Morris might have been there, but... It, if anything, I mean that is a that's a Dabo game. Um, Dabo's been our head coach since mid '08. What has he done since then? How many years does it take to get over that? What has Mark Rick done? At it's lazy, hundred percent agree. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. kind of this verb that, and again, I'm hundred percent on Dabo's side with this, and I think it's gonna let's hopefully this long national nightmare is over. Um, it's it's the kind of verb and the kind of stigma that all it takes is your next loss to be like, let's dig that one back up. Like, it's the kind of thing that you can't possibly get over unless you win. You could win 60 games against unranked in a row. You could win 100 games. And the first one you lose, that's Clemsoning. It's, it's like bulletin board material, but it's not for an opposing team. It's for the, for the media. Like, you, they, they've exactly. already crafted their, you know, their article for yeah. the next the time you lose. The template is there, for sure. Exactly. Um, so anyway, like, again... It's see. I don't think it is. I think that we're making more of it than it really is at this point. I think the fact that we, as a fan base and as a culture of Clemson, keep talking about it, we're adding fuel to the fire. Just don't even acknowledge it. Clemson is not a thing anymore. We all know that. Stop bringing it up. Well, it, do you think Dabo would would have reacted the way he did if it was not eating away at him? I think it, I think he's mad because so much of his body of work, when you take take it, you know, in its entirety, has nothing to do with that. Has yeah. nothing. Like, yeah, yeah, we did lose. Yeah, you're right, West Virginia. But it all, like, I think he's a little bit mad because so much of that is, is the Tommy Bowner, and they're taking that into account. They're meshing it with what he's done. And granted, the first few years were a little, you know, 
Oh, there were some ups and downs. Granted, I mean that's going to happen. Yeah, but for well, look what he's done since the then. last four years yeah. has been amazing. Just and he's been one of the best coaches in America. By the way, looking at the national media, I mean you have to think like we live in a little bit of a Clemson bubble. We we stay focused. People, I mean we're not Alabama yet. We're not there. I mean we're we're not uh, we're not USC or we're not you know. I, Anyway, people aren't like aren't looking at Clemson every week. They look at us when we're playing FSU on college game day. They look at us when we're playing West Virginia in the Orange Bowl, and that's how they know us. Yep. And when we when we shit the bed like we did, that's how they'll remember us. So unfortunately, they're a little bit behind, you know, national perception. But it'll it'll get there. And keeping, and again, it's not about you know we have to kowtow to ESPN, but David Hale's on our side. I encourage everyone that's listening to this that, that has not go read his last three articles. Go read his Twitter feed. And I'm not just saying that to defend him as a pro Clemson guy. Like, learn what this guy's all about. We used to have Heather Dinich be the only ACC correspondent covering the entire league. And she stood up for us, but now there's three people covering the ACC. That's progress. David Hale is the best one they got. Read his stuff, and it's good to go. I want to move on before we wrap this up, this podcast. Um, look at the other action around the country. Clemson going into this weekend, we were ranked sixth. Um, it was a bit of a, there was about an hour stretch yesterday, guys, where uh, three teams ranked above us, including Alabama behind us, were all trailing to inferior, lesser ranked opponents. Uh, Michigan State was losing to Rutgers. TCU was losing at Kansas State. Um, and I think, anyway, I, I know Utah was in the mix as well with Cal. Um, those teams all, you could say, took care of business, but. Um, throughout all that, I feel like no one really had as definitive a win as Clemson did outside of Baylor, really in the top 10. Um, so by result of that, we moved up in the AP poll to number five. Um, we still trail two big, I'm sorry, Michigan State moved back a bit, but we still trail Ohio State who plays Michigan State. They also play Michigan, who's looking better than ever after a 38-0 to win, win over Northwestern. We also play Baylor TCU, who face one another. I'm sorry, we don't play them. We are behind Baylor TCU, who play one another. Um, so one of those will unlikely or undoubtedly lose. Um, and we we could probably move up into the top four if we continue to win. Um, what among you guys? Like, what was the top game that you saw that gave you hope for us to continue to move up? So doesn't Ohio State re- really remind you of Florida State last year, the year after they won the national championship? Yeah, that, that comparison's been made. I mean, it, yeah. it does. They look exactly like them. Yeah, I mean, they're they, not impressed. They barely beat Maryland this week. Well, they, they, the they, only they pulled away in the second half. I didn't see the entire game, but they did pull away. The only difference there, I think, is that Ohio State has not... I mean, last year, Florida State, they had lost a lot of guys from that national championship season against when they beat Auburn. They lost a lot of those defensive players to the NFL. Ohio State did not. They had a lot of guys returning, and that's why they were the unanimous number one team. Um, so I will say it's more so, yes, very good comparison. That's the most like equivalent thing we've ever seen. Um, I just think they're like underperforming at this point. I don't know if that's a motivational coaching thing. Maybe it's just tough to win, rattle off all those wins, have that emotional high beating Alabama, beating Oregon, and then to come back and play against the likes of Maryland and Purdue and Indiana, and, Indiana, and try to kick those teams' ass against while you've played these other guys. Like, could be tough. That said, you got to take care of business. You are the number one team in the country, um, and style points do matter. Well, what's interesting is you know, I watched Heather Denich and another uh, commentator uh, from ESPN. I can't remember his name, Brett something. Anyway, they talked about, and both of them have a seat, or uh, I think they're uh, they have a vote for the committee. I could be wrong, but they talked about how they evaluated and they broke out their top four, and Clemson was both in their top four. Interesting. Ohio State was in neither one of their top fours. I think I think uh, what's reassuring for me, and I, I didn't know this as much, is that they have some people that are really dissecting a lot of different things in terms of uh, the data, the, the stats, um, how like, the qualitative met, like uh, analysis. So it's not just quantitative, and they're not, and they're completely stripping the front of the jerseys from into their evaluation. And Clemson comes out on the top four, no matter which which way you look at it, and and I think. Up to this point, Michigan State is not better than Clemson, so I, I can no, completely not. I don't think Ohio State is either. Oh, yeah, based on their body of work, or I'd TCU. agree. TCU, TCU, definitely not. They all, they've squeaked out two different games now. The only team I, that I've seen be, that's better has the better resume 
would probably be Baylor. And I don't, I have, you know, not looking at their schedule right now, but I don't think it's been great up to this point. I would say Baylor is a legitimate team until I see otherwise. I think Utah has played some fine football this year. LSU um, probably shouldn't have been as close against South Carolina as it was, but with Leonard Fournette, uh, yeah, they're a good SEC team with a great running back. Is essentially what they are. I know Alabama has a loss to Ole Miss. I still think they're a really, really good football team. All that being said, I think Clemson's right up there. There's not a team that scares me. I think we but go up against anybody. Fair enough. And I think, you know, relative ranking is important. Um, we don't play any of those teams till we're into the playoff. Right. Look at who we play. We've got, you know, we've got who we've got on our schedule ahead. Rest of the ACC, Atlantic. We play Miami. We play South Carolina. Then we play the Coastal winner. Right. But again, those teams are so weak. Our schedule, I mean, let's face it, we have a very weak schedule. Georgia Tech's not the marquee game we thought it would be. Louisville is not mm. the marquee game we thought it would be. Florida State barely scrapes by Miami after scraping by a... South Carolina's not... They beat, yeah. They're not top 25, which we thought they might They're be. They're not top 50. FSU beat BC 14 to nothing. Okay? So we don't have a strong schedule. That's why I keep saying... I understand. These teams like Baylor and TC are going to play. Somebody's going to win. Somebody will have a loss. And then Utah play a Pac-12 school. Um, and then Michigan will play. Uh, Michigan State will play Ohio State. That's all good and well. They'll all have one loss. We need them to keep losing because we can go undefeated. We still need some other teams with some losses because our schedule is not that strong. I just think we end up in that top four if undefeated. That's it. Uh, we could worry about the strength of the ACC strength of our schedule, where, where South Carolina and Notre Dame are ranked, um, if we were to be a one-loss team. I think let's just win our games out, and we're good to go. One, one take on Utah, who has, has what we thought was the best win of the year. I watched them in most of their game against Cal, and while I think they are a good team, you know, solid top five, maybe top ten up to this point, they, on the interior, I don't, I don't think they could handle Clemson. I don't think it would even be close. I think we. They would needed bring, six turnovers to beat Cal. They needed Am I right six, with that. Yeah, they, and on top of that, they only they they were down to the last drive and almost lost. And well, and they faced Clemson. I, they haven't faced an interior line or I'm sorry, a defensive line altogether like that all year, and they won't. And they're not ready for it. Right. So that being said, you know, in these polls, that the the press are not watching every game. The coaches' polls, obviously, they're not watching every game. They look at final scores. They look at results. They're not necessarily being able to compare the fact that Utah's interior lines can't handle Clemson's, right? So we need to keep dominating the teams in our schedule. We need to not uh, make uh, the, the, the dumb mistakes, the blown coverages and mistakes on offense that keeps the game against Georgia Tech a lot closer than it should have been or letting a team like Louisville hang close or Notre Dame back in the game. We can keep playing well and winning, we still, at the same time, need to keep eliminating these mistakes that keep us from really dominating teams, which we're very capable of doing because that needs to show up. Even more than that, um, the mistakes that could keep us out of a game where we wake up, second quarter, we're down 10 points. Um, either through those mistakes or just by virtue of playing a team that, like Miami, that gets Brad Kai going and is hot early. Um, I think eliminating mistakes is important. All that being said, Clemson will be a favorite in every game they play including Florida State, you know, barring some Everett Golson, um, Dalvin Cook revelation over the next three or four weeks. Um, you know, so we, we control our destiny here. And I think we'll wrap up this section. I mean, we don't need to go through the, you guys all know what the AP poll looks like. You all watch the games. We don't need to touch on who won, who lost, but um, we control our destiny. And we've got a tough BC defense coming in. We're going to preview that. Um, we just got to take care of business against those teams. And I think, Ben, what you're saying is definitive wins, get those. I mean, some people only look at Clemson games and look at the final score. They might not even watch the ESPN Sports Center recap of it, let alone watch the game film, let alone break down how our O-line did so or our D-line did. And they did. still have this idea in their mind of what Clemson used to be. Totally. So that final score does matter whether, whether or not we like it. So style points and margin of victory tend to matter. That being said, I'm, I say scrap all that. As long as our loss column is untarnished and looks like a goose egg, I think it's not going to matter unless we're like just squeaking out all our wins like Florida State last year. Well, and the fact that we, I don't think we've trailed in the game all year. And I think that's a lot to be said about this team. Um, 
and that looks even better if we're really blowing teams out of the water, and I think we're going to continue to do that. Our schedule sets up nicely for us to really be dominant the rest of the year, get some big leads, get some young guys in, because at the end of the year and going to a bowl game, when you have guys like Trevion Thompson and Deion Kane and Ray River McLeod becoming a big part of the offense and a lot of the guys on the defensive line and also in the linebacking core that can step in and add some huge some real depth. We don't have to wait a whole year for this to develop. It can happen within the season. Yeah, and by the way, we made it. We talked about this three-game stretch all summer, all uh, off-season long. Can we make it past this this stretch? If we can, we have a clear sight, a clear vision uh, to the playoff. And even though Georgia Tech wasn't what we thought they were, maybe Louisville wasn't as good as they, we thought they were, Notre Dame was probably better than we thought. Um, ultimately, like we, we got to where we needed to be, and it's such a great time because, you know, knock on wood again, no injuries, no serious injuries, um, you know, aside from Mike Williams. And we, like you said, man, we can start getting these secondary guys, these second team guys in to build on some experience that we're going to need um, as we you know, go to the end, uh, hopefully make it to a playoff and face some higher tier teams. We will need that depth. So we're in a, we're in a great spot. So perception, where we will be, where, if we can or cannot make the playoff, all that aside, our defense looks damn good. As good as it did last year, maybe it's not as good, but it looks as good. Um, offensively, we're, we look finally turned a corner. Let's see in the next two games if we can build on that and see if Deshaun Watson can be the you know the next level guy that we thought he was. And the thing is, on offense, it hasn't been the the offensive line or the running game, which is what we were worried about. Right? They've been good all year. We completely <laughs> missed. We completely missed. Totally. And I think Cody, you nailed it. Um, we're let's hope WRU continues to emerge, and I think it will. And I think we could take it up one or two more levels. It's going to be exciting to see uh, as we look ahead with our opponents. I'll throw this out there. It's really fun complaining and being critical about a really, really good football team. Yeah, it's like, what are the one or two little things that we could really tighten up instead yeah. of being like, wow, our defense is a shit show right now. What are we going to do? So obviously we have things to improve, but let's, let's enjoy this at the same time. Uh, we've got a great coach team. We've got a lot of great players, really talented players. And yeah, we're not living up to our potential at this point, but we're playing really good football and it's a lot of fun. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so 5-0, and things are bright. We will take a look at the BC game coming up. Sorry to everybody for the horns. Uh, we've got cruise ships. we got fog horns. we got planes going overhead for Fleet Week. So just a little bit of stuff that happens when you record in downtown San Francisco. Um, but before we sign off today, I want to talk about some of the beers that we've been drinking. Um, Cody and I have been splitting a tall boy, a couple tall boys of a uh, Almanac's Saison, Saison Dolores. Pretty good beer. We're moving away from the hops today. Uh, for for those of you guys that aren't hop heads, reactions, Cody. I think this is a great beer. I did want to get away from the IPA. And, it, and by the way, I also did a Franz and Skyner, the Hefeweizen, mm. just for the, those guys on STS. Like, I'm not anti Hefeweizen. Ben? On the other hand, Ben, what are you drinking? Got a Ranger IPA. Nothing exciting here. Who brews that one? New Belgium. You're well aware of that in South Carolina. Fair enough. Um, before this, we were also drinking, I'm going to butcher this name brutally, but uh, Van Stefaner, uh, their fest beer, their Oktoberfest. So there's like 26 uh, letters in this name, but Van Stefaner is a German brewery. We had their Oktoberfest beer. We were up watching the Blue Angels up on Ben's rooftop. Exceptional beer. Oktoberfest is a phenomenal event. I think everyone should book a trip to that. I went twice in my lifetime. I'm going to go back a third time before I die, I hope. It's a good time. Get you some Oktoberfest beer. It's still out in stores. Um, that's all we'll say on beer. But if you guys have beer recommendations for us, uh, keep, it, keep it coming. We can get some beer here in San Francisco. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get it. We'll try to check it out. We'll review it. We'll talk about it. And we drink scotch and whiskey, too. That's right. Do you yep. guys have a favorite favorite uh, regions of scotch or whiskey? Let us know. And if you want to send us some that we can't get out here on the West Coast, we'd appreciate that. We will not reimburse you. Ben, are you going to post your address online that we can send that to? Or we'll figure something it out depends there. Depends on what they have to offer. We'll get a P.O. box. That's a good point. We'll, we'll figure that out. Um, so we thank everybody for tuning in, making it this far into the podcast. Congratulations. We're at 59 minutes. Um, so we appreciate the listens. Guys, we do this for fun, and uh, we love it when people listen and tune in and comment, so keep it coming. 
Um, we'd love to get a mailbag going. So any questions or comments you got for us, we'd love to put it out up here on the podcast in future episodes. Hit us up at, um, just send us a mail at um, clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. Give us a follow on Twitter, just at clemsonpodcast. You guys can find us on iTunes. Comment on Shaking the Southland. That's our the wrap with our promotional stuff. In the meantime, go Tigers.